Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 19. Can you believe it? My name is Tom. This is The Enthusiasm Project. And today, I wanted to talk about something a little bit different-ish than uh, what we've been talking about in the past, which is um, I'm going to talk about where I've gotten some inspiration over the past few weeks and months and videos. And the idea to do that actually is something I was inspired by by another podcast. So I think this is going to be helpful. The the reason that I really want to do this is because I started noticing, well, I guess a, a while ago, I tried to do something where in every video that I make, regardless of what the video is, I do something new, like something different or something that requires me to like learn a new skill or look at things a little differently or try something a little different. And that might not be immediately apparent to the viewer, but for me as the person making the video, it's always something where I have to think about it when I'm doing it. So, you know, like usually when I try to come up with an idea for a video, um, before it even gets written down in my notebook, I kind of just think like, I just sort of run through ideas and ways to approach them. And and when I'm doing that in my mind and I'm running through the idea, I'm starting to visualize it. And hopefully there's at least one point in, in that process where something very visual pops out. Like usually it's like a camera shot or a camera move or an editing technique or just something to, you know, to take the video from 10 to 11 and just make it one louder and one better and that has been a fun challenge because even if I find myself, you know, uh, hitting a good stride or rhythm where my videos feel like there's a system and I know how to make them and I can be really efficient with it, I don't want to fall into that rut where it's like everything is just the same. And so far, I don't feel like I've done that, but I've been actively trying to avoid it. And one way to avoid that is to try and do something new and novel with every video. And this is kind of something that I had personally started doing at work a few years ago, which was work can be pretty overwhelming at times, as I'm sure anybody with a job knows. And fortunately, I'm lucky to have a job that's interesting and fun, but it can still be exhausting and, you know, over <laughs> overwhelming and all of those things. And what I noticed was usually every day, especially going into a really long day, I could look at it and be like, oh my God, I just woke up and it's 5 a.m. and I'm not even going to be home and able to like relax until like 5 p.m. or something on a really long day or 6 p.m. or whatever. Um, You know, this day is going to be so long and I'm just kind of dreading it, which, you know, could be true. But also within that day, there's usually something I could go where I'm like, okay, well, in third period, we're going to do this thing. Or, you know, uh, during my prep period, I need to work on this project and I'm really excited about that. And I noticed that there was pretty much always at least one thing I could be excited about every day. And that became really helpful. You know, I hate, <laughs> I have gotten up early most days of my life on planet Earth, and I still hate it and I've never gotten used to it. So, you know, that's painful. But when you get up and you're like, okay, ugh, I don't want to do this, but I know that I'm going to get to do blah, blah, blah. Um, that does help. And it, it changes your approach and your attitude in a good way. And I kind of just pulled that into my videos where it's like, okay, I know the process for making a video. Luckily for me, that's just fun in general. But to avoid that that rut, that creative rut, just thinking of like, okay, what's something I can do different in this one video from the others? And that has been, for me, really effective. So definitely recommend it. But also the problem with it is my video turnaround time is pretty quick, which is something that I like. Um, I can usually make a video within a day, like start filming, filming the whole thing, edit it. Sometimes it'll take two or three days if I just don't have a lot of time or I want to spend a little more time on it. But that starts from the like pressing record on the camera phase. The idea comes earlier usually and sometimes a lot earlier. So I would say for any given video, on average, it takes about five to seven days of my time from like having the idea and planning it out and kind of breaking the idea down to filming, editing, and then all the uploading and getting it ready to, you know, hit publish or whatever. Um, Usually about five to seven days. And 
the thing about that is I learn a lot in that process and it's really fun and I love learning more about the videos, but they go up, they get published and then that whole experience of like learning something, you know, it's in my brain and it's in my memory, but that's kind of it. Like it just sort of feels in a way like it disappears. And so I wanted to dive into that a little bit today because I think that there's a lot of stuff in there that's worth sharing and could be valuable to others. Um, not even necessarily, obviously valuable if you're someone who makes videos because it's directly related, but even if you're not, I think it could be valuable just if you're somebody who does anything creative or anything where you're trying to make something or trying to put your own spin on it, you know, the idea of where to get inspiration, where is that line between being inspired by and just straight up copying or like stealing an idea from somebody? And how do you how do you walk those lines? How do you incorporate those things into your work? And I kind of wanted to dive into that today because that has been such an important part for me in building my channel and making videos and trying to get better at what I do and all that. And part of the idea to talk about inspiration, part of the way that I even had this idea was I've been listening to a lot of MKBHD's podcast, which is called um, Waveform. Highly recommend it. It's super fun. The thing about him <laughs> is he spends a lot of time on his channel talking about phones and mobile devices. I don't really care about phones and mobile devices. I'm just not interested in that stuff for the most part. Like when I need a new phone, I get really interested in like, okay, you know, I'm usually aware of like what the best phones are at the time when new ones are coming out. And I kind of know, usually like literally I'll know like a year in advance. Next year I'll need a new phone. So I'll pay attention to all the rumors and releases and whatever and then I'll be ready to like get a new one. And then I, I get excited about the upgrade, but I usually keep my phones for like three years or more. It's not like an every year, couple times a year thing like some people. So I don't really care about phone tech videos. But on MKBHD's channel, he's just so good at what he does and he's so captivating and I love his perspective on things and I love his approach and I love his production quality that I just, I'll watch videos about stuff that I'm not even interested in because I like it's so fascinating to me and it's so enjoyable to me. Um, his podcast, I am, I am interested in because they cover a little bit of everything. It is it does lean heavily into like news about like phone tech and mobile tech and stuff like that. Which again, it's not something I would seek out on my own. But when I hear him talking about it and his perspective, I am really interested in it and I want to know more because he's so good at framing it. But one thing they do in their podcast um, is talk about um, like the videos they have made since the last one. There's no specific release schedule. So sometimes it's one video, sometimes it's three videos, and they'll kind of go through and usually it's like adding updates and talking about responses. So if it was a, a product review, they'll sort of talk about some of the things people have brought up or maybe some things that have come to light since the video was published. But then they'll also dive into the production side of it and talk about what went into making that video. And I have found that totally fascinating. And it's really cool that to know that there's, you know, whatever, this nine-minute video up on a YouTube channel. But obviously a lot more than nine minutes went into making that. And then you can hear the people who are so good at what they do talk about the process of making that video and all the work and all the thought and all the time that went into it. And there's stuff that I would have never thought about or never even noticed and that becomes super fun just to just to listen to and to to be engaged with. And I was thinking like, man, I would love to sort of dissect some of my own videos that way and to really think about what I learned in that process and share that and maybe it would be helpful to other people. So even though I am talking about videos in this audio podcast today, I will put links to all of the videos that I mention in the show notes right now and I might talk about a couple videos that I'm working on that aren't out yet. So depending on when you're listening to this, they might be out or they might not, but they they won't be out when this podcast is first released. Um, so the first thing, the first video that I want to share with you is or talk about is I made it about two months ago um, and it's called Break Out of Your Creative Rut. And it is specifically like a shortened version of this discussion. It's where I talk about two bits of inspiration that I had gotten and I just wanted to share the idea of like, you can be inspired from a lot of different places. So obviously in the world of YouTube, it's easily easy to be inspired by other YouTubers. And 
seems like everybody I know who has a YouTube channel or has wanted to start one has at least one YouTuber that they look up to as their role model that made them feel like they could start a channel or they wanted to. And you can usually see some of that person's influence in in that channel. So like for me, for example, Casey Neistat was a huge one because especially the time when I was starting my channel, I think anyone who started a channel like in 2017 probably has him as an inspiration in, to some degree at least. And you can see that popping up in a lot of different ways. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to copy the person exactly. And obviously we've seen people do that. When Peter McKinnon started doing slow motion cinematic you know, montage B-roll sequences, everybody was doing that. And it kind of, you can get tired of it when people start duplicating things too much. But at the same time, it's just like with music, you know, you ha- you have a favorite band and then you learn more about that band and you realize, oh, they were inspired by these artists and these bands. Then you go listen to those. You can kind of hear some of those influences and all of those different influences coming together are what led to the... And I know that for me, what that came down to was the idea that it was okay to be imperfect in your videos, which was huge. And I really needed that. Like I needed... Yeah, and and Casey has a good way, I think we've probably talked about this in past episodes, but he has a great way of, I don't want to say feigning imperfection, but he has a lot of experience, a lot of filmmaking and video production and all that experience in the background. And so when he does stuff that's a little rough around the edges, it's sort of on purpose or it's at least with with intention or with permission to be imperfect. I think sometimes that can be taken too far and people are like, everything can just be terrible. It doesn't have to be good at all and that's fine because that's my style or whatever. And it's like, no, you know, it's it's fine to be a little rough around the edges, but there needs to be a certain standard of quality that exists for that to actually be effective. And I think Casey was really good at that. And I know for me, who was spending so much time on the rare projects I would work on, trying to make them absolutely perfect, that that was so key. Like sometimes the, you know, the camera shots are crooked or the lighting is off or something goes out of focus and it's still fine. And if anything, it helped make the videos and the projects like more relatable in some way. Um, for me though, a big part of that inspiration, the thing that drew me into Casey was his studio in New York. And if you watch like pretty much any of his, <laughs> most of the videos on his channel, especially especially up until you know late 2019 2020 when they moved to California but anything in New York where he's in that studio it's a really cool space and I remember when I finally clicked on it you know he was popping up in my recommended years ago just constantly and I didn't want to watch any videos because I just sort of stay away from like the YouTube trending page and all that because a lot of it tends to not be um, good and I finally clicked on one of his videos and I was fascinated because he was like this not older, but he was older in the world of YouTube. He was like this 35, 36 year old dude. He wasn't, you know, 21 or whatever. And he was in this space that kind of looked like a workshop. It kind of looked like a studio. And I was trying to figure it out. And the video was interesting, whatever he was talking about. But I was also just like fascinated by the background. And I was just sort of looking at like, there's tools, there's a workbench, there's like this garbage can. And in my mind, I was like, is this guy like in here like working on stuff and making stuff like when the cameras aren't rolling is he just fiddling around and doing stuff in here and I was fascinated by that I was fascinated by how much of a story and how much interest there was in just the environment that he was in and so that was a huge inspiration for me when I wanted to start my channel I had my room which is now where I I film pretty much all my videos but that was just my like music room slash office. And I was like, this is a cool space. Like there's stuff in the background that I don't have to talk about the drums in my video ever. But if the drums are in the background, it's something you can see and it's something visual and it's something that's a little different. There's art on the wall. There's the colors of the wall. Like there's, you know, there's just sort of this environment that I can be talking about whatever, but there's a personality and a feel that kind of comes into play that hopefully it's a little more authentic because it's not it's not a built set um, and it's not as simple as just a solid color background or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's something that's a little more unique and it is a little authentic. Like I'll, you know, I play those drums. I put those artworks on the wall that each one has a story of why they're there. I use the 3D printers in the background. Like everything actually 
is functional in a way and you know time is spent in this room without cameras <laughs> rolling and without podcast recording because it's a space that I made for myself to enjoy fun things and interesting things and get work done inside of so that's a long way of saying like inspiration comes from a lot of places that was a huge inspiration for me but in general I try not to be directly inspired visually by other YouTube channels I watch a ton of YouTube. It's my favorite. But I, I don't want to see something that somebody else is doing directly and go like, that's exactly how I need to do it. I need to rearrange my set this way. I need to redo my lighting this way. I need to uh, you know, have an intro that looks like this or a logo that looks like that or whatever because it's already been done by other people and I want to do my own version of it. Sometimes even when I make videos, I might think like, okay, I'm going to make this, whatever, this microphone comparison video. My impulse might be to go search for mic comparison videos and see how people are doing that effectively. Like, how, you know, how do you, how do you give it a fair chance? How do you label things for the viewer so that it's clear? What kind of tests do you do? All that sort of stuff. And I stop myself and I always remember don't do that because that's what somebody else did and doesn't mean they didn't do it well, but do it my way. Like that's why somebody would want to come to my channel is to see the way that I do things, not the way that I'm doing something, how somebody else does it. And so what it, what do I think is important? How am I going to approach this? And that's going to give it, even if it's a topic that's covered somewhere else, it's going to give it a different style and sort of a different flavor. And, and all of that kind of comes together in the production quality, the visual aesthetic, like everything, because... I don't want to be directly influenced by other people to that degree. Now, that being said, I might see something, you know, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of an example. I might see a certain lighting technique or something in somebody's video and go, okay, this is kind of cool. How could I incorporate that into one of my videos? Or how could I incorporate that, like do my own version of that that would work for me? But I don't want to just start making somebody else's videos because they have already made their videos and they've probably done it better than I'll be able to do. So I've found that it's, for me, it's more effective and it's more creative to find that inspiration elsewhere. And that's what I talk about in that first video that I just mentioned, the Creative Ret one. Um, because in that, I give two examples of where I had got inspiration for some of my favorite videos I had created in the past few months. And it was not anything YouTube related. So the first one... I talked about was my MacBook Pro review, my 16-inch MacBook Pro that I got um, in fall of 2019 when they were first released. And that, I'm trying to click on it here just so I can see it while I'm talking, but that video was, it starts with, like it fades in and there's a top-down shot of the MacBook and there's my voiceover sort of explaining essentially like I had had this 13-inch MacBook for like six years and I loved it and I had no interest in upgrading. There was something about this new one that made me want to do it. And while I'm talking about it, the camera is slowly pushing in towards the MacBook from this top-down shot. There's kind of like this classical music playing and then eventually like the music kicks in and there's sort of a whoosh and like a little, you know, pretty montage of like product photography and then it jumps into the video and I, I really love that intro to that video it's really fun but that was different than anything I had done at the time and I got it from I got the idea from an anime that Heather and I were watching called Violet Evergarden which is wonderful and I highly recommend it it's a gorgeous show but basically it's 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 almost like I don't know what era <laughs> this show takes place. It's it feels like very World War II-y, but it's clearly not even in a country that exists on Earth. It's almost like you know, it's almost like a fantasy world, but things are very similar to like World War II era things, but some of the technology is a little more advanced and some of it's not as advanced and it's very interesting and the story is terrific and visually it's absolutely stunning. But their main soundtrack is like classical, which is, it works great for the show. And there's one episode, which I give an example, I show in the video, but it starts, it's, it's almost, I think it's the penultimate, the second to last episode of the season where these army generals are talking about a war and a strategy that they've been planning for episodes. And it's, it's this crazy thing. And this huge climactic episode starts with just a shot of a map on the wall 
and the camera slowly pushing in with like some like kind of tense classical music playing and you can hear the discussion of the generals in the background and i thought that was so interesting that this really intense thing this story was starting with literally just a static shot of a map on the wall but it looked so good and it sounded so good and it was so interesting to me that that's what i wanted to directly take for my macbook review and Mine, I didn't put the MacBook on the wall because I'm not a crazy person, but I just did a top-down shot, so it's framed exactly the same. I add, I used keyframes in Final Cut to push in a little bit, and the camera slowly goes in. I found very similar-sounding music on Artlist to use, and then I just used my voiceover. So it was kind of the same idea, the same structure to hopefully engage someone in the same way that that show engaged me when I saw it. And I really had fun with that. And it taught me a few things because what I learned, I had noticed that a bunch of my videos started with me just sitting at my desk talking. And if you click through video after video, no matter how different or how good the videos were, they all kind of started the same way, just me talking at the desk. And in the world of YouTube, you want people to watch your videos. And one of the things that happens right away is if someone clicks on a video and they don't find it immediately interesting, then they click out right away, obviously, and go to something else that's more interesting. And you don't want that to happen. So you want to hook them in so they keep watching. And I was just under the impression that if it's just me, if any video somebody finds on my channel is just me at my desk talking, that might not always be the most interesting thing for them to see. So if I start with this, with these little like intro sequences that aren't long, like I'm giving you, there's a voiceover giving you information. So it's not clickbait. We're not like dragging it out to get to the thing that you came to the video for, but it's just a more interesting way of giving that information that people would be more interested in the video. And it seems to have worked. And that was really the first one that I did that technique. I don't need, you know, a minute and a half like B-roll sequence or anything to get it going. I don't need crazy padding or anything it's literally i'm talking about the topic of the video the visuals are just a little more interesting than me at the desk and it's a little more stylized and i'll try to carry whatever that is throughout the video and the rest of the b-roll or if there's any other montages or whatever i kind of carry that tone and that style throughout the video and i've been doing that a lot since this one macbook pro review and i also have been using a lot more classical music in my videos because it turns out that it just fit really well, and I liked the way that it looked. I liked the vibe that it gave. I've been using a lot of like keyframe camera movement animations to sort of add some subtle movements to my camera shots. I've been using a lot more voiceovers, all because of that one video where I did it in that way for the first time, and where I got the idea for that was from an anime intro on Netflix, which is just not, it's not where you would expect something like that to come from but it was a cool way to be in, it was a cool thing to see to be inspired by and then to see it find its way into my personal style and that that was a really fun example and another video where something like that happened which I also talk about in my creative rut video is I made a video about the 24 millimeter probe lens which you might have seen because it's become really popular lately it's it's a really long lens it looks like I mean it looks like a probe of some kind and it's I mean it's over a foot long looks like a tiny little telescope probe thing it's a 24 millimeter lens and you can just fit it into like crazy tight areas it's waterproof um, at least the the end of it is waterproof it has a built-in light on it so you can do all this really cool stuff for someone like me who does a lot of product photography it's a really cool lens because it lets you it lets you take these things which are small and make them look massive you know if like I'm using the Rodecaster Pro to record this and it has little switchers or faders on it for each channel. You can put the probe lens like right next to a fader or even between two faders and it's like you're, it's almost like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids where like you're really small and everything just seems so massive around you. It's really cool. I, c I couldn't afford that lens or justify paying full price for it because it's so specialized, but I did rent it and it was so much fun and I made a video about it while I rented it. And to start that video, what I wanted to do was I wanted to show, I kind of wanted to show the setup. I was taking the same idea of I'm going to start the video with a little montage and a voiceover. But in that, I wanted to show, 
here's what it looks like when this crazy lens is attached to the camera and how I'm moving it around an object. And then here's what the result of that is. So here's, you know, a shot of something being filmed. And here's the thing that was filmed. I kind of go back and forth. I couldn't really think of an interesting way to do that. And then we had visited my family and Heather and I don't have cable. So we're like never see commercials really. But my family does, and we always end up watching a lot of TV when we visit them. And there was this one commercial that just kept playing over and over and over again for um, FX. The TV channel was putting a lot of their shows on Hulu. So it was FX on Hulu. And the thing that caught me right away was it had like this classical soundtrack, not unlike the Violet Evergarden soundtrack that I used in the MacBook video, but it was also edited like crazy. It had like frames within frames and you know, the screen would be filled up with an image from a show and then kind of like a smaller version, like a frame within a frame, like picture in picture almost would pop up in the center of a different thing. And then the background would change to a different show and then the middle one would change and disappear. And it was like these layers of video just kind of cutting over each other in a really cool way. And of course, it's all synced in with the music and the way the music was going. And I just, that that commercial must have come on like 50 times over the weekend that we were there. And it was so interesting to me that I made a note to remember it. And then I basically just took that same style for the probe lens video because I was like, oh, I can show like I can show a really cool shot and then I can have a small frame pop up that shows like the lens filming something and then it can cut to a bigger frame of the thing that was being filmed. And that's a way I can transition back and forth between what's being filmed and what the final result looked like. And it worked really, really well. And of course, I found some classical sounding music that fit in really well and kind of like match the tone and I loved it it's so much fun and it's only I mean let's see I have the video right here so the final the final montage is 12 seconds long 15 seconds long but it's such an engaging way to to start the video that in the analytics show it most people who start that video want to keep watching it because it pulled them in. And for me, it was so much fun to make that because I had to film it with that in mind. I had to edit it in a way where I was trying to match somebody else's style, which it does not look exactly like the commercial that I got the idea from, but you can see the inspiration. And then it has kind of like a different spin on it. So that was just sort of another cool example of normally you go to a commercial break in a TV show and you just tune out or check your phone or go to the bathroom or whatever. And... In this case, one of those commercials just stuck out in a way that became really inspirational and interesting. And I really liked that. So finding those those examples to use in videos was really cool. And I I talk about that in the video that I mentioned much more concisely than I did here and with the actual examples of of the pieces I use as inspiration. So I will link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out at a later point. Um, I like that video a lot, so I would recommend checking it out. Uh, Let's see, moving on to other things. This was an interesting one. So I mentioned Artlist a minute ago from as being a place where I get my music. Artlist also has a YouTube channel, and a lot of companies do this, which is really smart, I think, they have YouTube channels that aren't just about their products. So like Aperture Lighting, they sell lights. They have a YouTube channel. Their YouTube channel is not just advertisements for their lights. Their YouTube channel is like all kinds of tutorials, very interesting stuff about filmmaking. It's really good. Like it's great advice. It's great input. And then, yeah, they are the company that sells lights. So it's it's a great way to be a part of the community that they're making products for and to establish that reputability. Lots of companies do these kinds of things, and some are more effective than others. Aperture is really good. Artlist is also really good, because even though they do royalty-free music, their YouTube channel has a lot of just video production and filmmaking tutorials. And they did one a few weeks ago, which was all about how to do like product photography. And so I clicked on that, because that's something I'm interested in. I had even just made a video about that same subject. But their way of doing it was... They were using a lot of glass reflective surfaces, which is something I had started to use in my videos a while ago. I just had like this glass, this black glass monitor stand that I got for like $15 from Monoprice. 
and I've been putting products on it because it's shiny and reflective and it looks really good. But in addition to that, they were taking either a TV screen or a computer monitor, putting it behind the reflective surface, and then putting up full colors on the monitor so that way it was shining on the product, it was reflecting off the surface, and they were using the monitor as a, a background, mostly just putting different colors, but they could kind of also make it dynamic and change a little bit. It was really interesting because I, I just hadn't thought of doing something like that before. And so I wanted to try that out. And one video I made recently, um, it's the one that came out just last week, is my one-year review of the Canon EOS R. Now that I've had that camera for a year, I wanted to talk about you know what I like, what I don't like, how I feel about it after a long-term review. But I wanted to make this look very different than my normal videos. And so I tried that out. That was super fun. I learned a lot by doing that, just the way you have to light things because the monitor itself is a light source, which is kind of cool because you're getting this backlight on your subject, but it also changes the way that you're playing around with exposure. It also changes the way that you're framing your shots because you don't want to see the edges of a computer monitor or anything. So I actually had to switch out lenses. Normally I use a really wide, like 24 millimeter lens. And I switched over to my 24 to 105 and zoomed in all the way. So I was using more of a like telephoto focal length to just sort of keep the background compressed but blurry and then also not show the edges of the display. And then, of course, I was using the slider and moving around a little bit. I sort of veered off from where Artlist went in their tutorial and I was using moving images in the background, um, just sort of like textures and colors and things like that. And it worked really, really well. I even use that to take some of the thumbnail images so that way the thumbnail for that video is like really bright and bold in a way that stands out from my other thumbnails in a in a good way and i i had so much fun filming this thing and then going back to the fx commercial i didn't want to redo that like frame on frame but i was thinking about like oh what about doing like split screening and so i found a song that i really liked for this video and so I started it and there's kind of like a montage where there's small frames so it might do like split screening or there's you know four frames within the one main frame it's kind of hard to explain but if you watch the video you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about where I was just sort of playing with how images fit into one single frame and it was really fun and it was really different from what I had done before and it ended up looking like an Apple commercial or something, like one of the old iPod commercials, which wasn't my intention at all, but it was super fun to do something like that. It doesn't look or sound like one of my normal videos at all, and it incorporated this brand new technique that I hadn't used before, which, since the video's been posted, lots of people have complimented on and said, hey, this looks great, how did you do that, blah, 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 and I just send them to the Artlist tutorial because it's the easiest way to explain it. But also since then, I've used some of those techniques in several other videos. And now it's, again, it just put another tool right in my toolkit that now kind of is adding a different layer or a different texture to my own visual and personal style. And that came from a tutorial from a royalty-free music website. So again, not what I would search for to, to find those... to you know, to find inspiration, but that's just where it came up. And that was just like, I think YouTube recommended thing. A um, couple other things that have popped up that I've been trying to do. I guess there's three more points to cover here that I've been trying to like add into my videos. I did a microphone comparison where literally the idea, and this video's done really well. And I, I explained this in the video, like where the idea came from. And I think people are missing this part. It's. An, I just bought the cheapest microphone I could find on Amazon, like the cheapest podcasting mic, which was $25. It's not the cheapest mic on Amazon. There are cheaper microphones, but it was the cheapest XLR like podcasting microphone that I could find. And literally, it was just one night in bed. I was like browsing on my iPad, and I just thought, "Hey, this would be kind of interesting. Like, what would what it you know what can you get for a cheap microphone?" And I found one. And I was like, "Oh." What if I just bought this and just tried it out in a video? And so that's what the video is. I didn't test the microphone beforehand, which is part of what I wanted to do. I had two separate people tell me that one thing they liked about my videos that they wish they had more of 
was kind of this tactile, like going on the journey with me feeling, which I found very interesting that two totally separate people said the exact same feedback that things didn't, again, didn't need to be super polished. They kind of wanted to like go on the journey and they didn't even care what the thing was, almost like I talked about with MKBHD and me not caring about phones. They might not care about microphones, but the way that I'm approaching the topic is interesting and entertaining and informative. And so I kind of kept that in mind. I was like, okay, that's what we'll do right here. I'm going to do this video where literally like I open the microphone and unbox it in the video. I plug it in and listen to it for the first time on camera. I adjust it to try to get the setting sounding good or as good as possible on camera. And I sort of, with the audience, go through that process of curiosity, of kind of disappointment because it really doesn't sound good right away. And then a little bit of like, oh, okay, as it sounds better and better, working with equalization and just just discovering like the differences between a $25 product or a hundred or $400 microphone and, you know, where, (laughs) where you, just what the differences are, I guess I should say for lack of a better term. And so being very tactile, and that's something I've been trying to incorporate more into videos is letting, rather than trying to present something as being super polished to someone who watches it, Letting it be polished in terms of being high quality, but also letting them come on the journey of like, let's check this thing out together or let's figure this out together or, you know, let me show you something I'm excited about, but I don't really know the best way to show it to you. So I'm going to figure that out. Just kind of that like, it just sort of feels, it's more fun for me to make. It feels a little more natural and I think the videos are a little more engaging. So it's not like a direct inspiration from anything specifically, but it is something that came from feedback uh, from two separate people who I am friends with and trust and value their opinions highly, but also they have totally different perspectives. And so hearing them give that feedback was interesting to me. And it's something I've done in a few videos that are out and something I've been doing in videos that aren't quite out yet and will continue to do in videos. So it might be something you notice as time goes on, just like adding in terrible jokes. And this is, this is something sort of a little different, but adding in that personality, like, again, a lot of the information I cover on my channel is stuff that people can get elsewhere. And I think a lot of people who want to make stuff for YouTube or create their own content or whatever have that problem. They're like, well, I want to talk about this or I want to do this, but there's so many people that do it already or there's already this, that, and the other. And it always comes back to that is true you're probably, no matter what you're doing, you're probably never going to have a totally original idea that no one's ever done before. But you will have a different take on it. You will have a different perspective. You'll have a different approach to it. And that might be all that it takes. And sometimes, I mean, think back to school. Like, I I, I think of like middle school or high school when when you have, you know, six or seven different teachers And sometimes there's great teachers and sometimes there's bad teachers, but also sometimes there's just teachers or even other students or whatever where you just didn't, you just didn't get along. And it's not that you were like fighting or arguing all the time, but it was just something about their approach, something, whatever. You guys just weren't on the same wavelength and it just wasn't effective. And then you would go to a different classroom with a different teacher, different environment, and it'd be totally different, um, a different outcome and a different experience. And I think that's kind of the same thing you might be talking about something that other people are also talking about, but you're doing it in a way that's different and that's going to connect uniquely with a specific audience in a way that other people aren't. And other people are going to connect uniquely in a way that you are not as well. And that's kind of what makes all of this stuff work and makes it interesting. And that's why there's always room for more people in the conversation. And, and, you know, a niche isn't necessarily full or saturated because there's always room for new perspective. And so for me, what that meant was, what are some of the things, you know, we've kind of talked about some of the things that I try to do a little differently from other people. And that could even be just as simple as, I use a lot of high key lighting and bright colors. A lot of other people in my niche, a la white guys talking about camera tech, use a lot of very dark moody lighting. And so just right there is a visual difference. It's a different feel. But one thing was adding in jokes, which 
which I, I've always like, you know, made little puns and things here and there in my videos. But adding in what I've been trying to do lately is maybe for the past two or three months now, literally in every video at some point have just a straight up, here is a setup and a punchline, like almost like an old school vaudeville kind of thing that, that is super cheesy and terrible in addition to just lots of other puns and goofy stuff that's just sort of dumb and ridiculous because that's how my brain works. I hear things and I immediately connect them to something stupid and a pun or whatever. And I don't know why I was keeping that out of my videos for so long because I thought, you know, well, people are, especially when your channel's small, it's like people are coming here to get specific information. They don't need me like putting on like a dog and pony show of trying to be entertaining. They just need the info that they came for, which is true regardless, but there's a way to give that info effectively while also maintaining and incorporating your personality into it, whatever that might be. And so that's what I've been trying to do more of. And for me, jokes are huge because I started using them. In my, I remember specifically the first joke of the day I used in my high school program was, why did the bicycle fall over? because it was too tired. And then the next day was, how do you prepare for a party in space? You plan it. And that came from my very first year teaching 10 years ago. I used to do a word of the day because I was an English teacher. And so I had this really cool book of like unusual words. And I would always put a word of the day up on the board with the definition. And a lot of these were like really interesting sounding words. So it was stuff that kids would walk in and they'd be kind of interested in like, what's the word of the day? you know, that's a nice academic thing. It's fun. It's, it's, I liked it. The second year teaching for whatever reason, I don't remember. I don't remember why. I think I had just heard the bicycle joke and I thought it was funny. So I just like replaced the word of the day with a joke of the day and everybody laughed. And then the next day, you know, another kid was like, Hey, is there another joke? And I was like, Oh yeah, the planet one. And then it just switched to to a joke of the day. And then once I switched to teaching digital media that same year, which was just sort of a little more flexible and creative, the joke became like a thing where like literally at certain points, depending on the school year, I'll have classes where like it's the main thing students ask for. Like I go through my whole lesson, my whole workshop, delivering all of the knowledge and everything that I work really hard to do. And then they'll just be like, is there a joke of the day? And I mean, it's gotten to the point, I remember one year specifically, I had like these students in this one period where I'd finish my thing and I'd go, okay, does anyone have any questions, comments, concerns? And one student would raise her hand and go, Mr. Buck, is there a joke of the day? And I would go, there is a joke of the day. And then somebody else would go, can you hear the joke of the day? And then I would say like, why did the blah, blah, blah do a thingy? And then somebody else would go, I don't know, why did the blah, blah, blah do a thing? And I said, because reasons. And then somebody else would have pulled up like a sound effect on their computer and played either like, you know, the rim shot, like, or the sad trombone or whatever. And it was like this whole little production that would happen all the time, which we eventually, after like a hundred days of doing that, just got used to. But then every once in a while, someone would be visiting like a principal or an administrator from another school or something or a teacher. And they'd be in there and this whole like, this whole little show would happen that was sort of off the cuff, but also seemed oddly choreographed and they would always be so confused by it. And it was just really funny. And so I just kept doing joke of the day. And then the crazier part is having multiple classes per day, depending on what school I've been at and what school year it is anywhere from three to six classes per day that I'm teaching and teaching in an elective program, sometimes I have students in more than one class. So when I was teaching just, you know, five periods of sophomore English, every period was different. I could just tell the same joke in every period. It's not the case so much when you have some of the same overlap. And sometimes I might just tell the same joke in different periods and kids kind of like seeing the reaction in other classes. But also, I sort of like going that extra mile and than having a different joke for every class period, which if you think of three to six classes a day times 182 days, 
that's a lot of jokes. And then you have some of those kids for four years and, you know, they will get upset in their junior year if you tell a joke that they heard in their freshman year. So you got to like keep it fresh and different. And I'm trying to come up with my own jokes and all this kind of stuff. And now it's to a point where the joke of the day takes a stupid amount of time, like in my planning and preparation of like trying to find a good one that's obviously appropriate and actually kind of interesting or funny or whatever. Anyway, the reason that I still do that is because it has been such a huge relationship builder with students. And sometimes it can feel bad when I work really hard on a lesson or whatever. And the students seem to only care about the joke, but after they leave or at the end of school years or when things are really tough, so many students have used that as an example of why they liked being in my class or why they felt comfortable or they knew that they could come in and they'd have like a goofy laugh and it would be like, it was such a source of comfort, not just the joke, but the environment that has to exist in order for something like that to be okay is a source of comfort for them. And so that's why it has become a huge priority, even though it seems so stupid on the surface. And then I just thought, why am I not doing that in my YouTube videos? And so when the whole quarantine thing started and it was like any amount of positivity and happiness is welcome (laughs) in the world, I just wanted to start adding in jokes to my videos. And I don't know why I didn't do that earlier because it was so successful in school and building relationships and, you know, engaging people. And the same thing has now happened on the YouTube channel where I do these dumb jokes and there are people every video who will critique the joke and give me a score like this week is two out of 10. This week is one out of 10 because obviously it's never like it has to be a low score because the jokes are terrible. And I try to do original jokes in my videos that are relevant to the thing. So I don't just do the like bicycle joke, but I try to go, you know, I think I was talking about, you know, one of my camera videos, the joke was why did the Panasonic GH5 get diagnosed with ADHD? The answer is because it had trouble focusing. Like I try to actually make them relevant to the topic we're talking about, which can be tricky. And again, time consuming. Now I'm spending 20 or 30 minutes just developing a really dumb joke for a video which is silly, but again, it's it builds something in terms of community. It gives something for people to look forward to. And it seems like it's only been positive as goofy as it is. And I don't necessarily put the jokes in the same spot in each video either. Uh, originally, I was going to just put them at the end. Like every video ends with a joke and people will have to go to the end to see that joke. But sometimes that's just not natural. And so just throughout the video at some point, sometimes it's a minute in, sometimes it's 10 minutes in, whatever. At some point that joke will be there and you kind of got to watch the whole video to find the joke in addition to just other goofy puns. But that is a thing that like started accidentally in my day job, became successful there and then took many years before it leaked over into the YouTube channel where it has also been successful. But it's something that that I, it's just, it's just something that's such a part of my personality that I wanted to make sure to include that. And learning, it doesn't mean you would need to do dumb jokes in your content, but it means whatever the thing is, if you're somebody who's really analytical about something and you're meticulous about how you approach things and break things down, don't leave that out of your content. Like be analytical and be in depth and be you know, meticulous with the stuff that you're making. And don't worry that other people aren't necessarily doing that because that's the thing that you're bringing to the table, which is a little different than what other people are doing. And I think just relying on that is really, really key and really important. And then the last thing, which is totally separate uh, that I wanted to talk about in terms of inspiration, probably I would say at least most videos I've made so far in 2020 have started with a slow fade in which doesn't sound like much, but the the reason I used to always put fades on the start of my video, because with YouTube, if somebody clicks on a video and they pause it right away or it doesn't play right away, sometimes it will just freeze on the first frame, which oftentimes I found was just my face in a dumb pose, especially before I started doing more interesting introductions. And I wanted to avoid that. So I would just start with a fade. So that way the first frame of every video is just black. And that's not an issue anymore. But the problem with doing the fade... And plus it just makes sense. Like it doesn't feel like you're just jumping into the middle of a video. It, it can be a very quick fade in. 
but at least it feels like okay the video got started it's official like it, it just feels better and then the problem with that is when you just use the basic fade in Final Cut Pro, it also fades the audio. And so you don't want to have your audio fade in because that sounds really weird. So then you have to do this thing where you like detach the audio track and then fade in the video track. Anyway, <laughs> I've been watching all of Better Call Saul. Well, I've been watching it since it started. And so the fifth season, I think it was the fifth season, just ended a few weeks ago. That show's just so good, and the way they make it is so good, and there's a whole behind-the-scenes podcast that I recommend with all the editors and the writers and producers, and it's just, it's so, so good. Everything about that show, aside from the storytelling, just the production side of things, the edit, it's so wonderfully done, and one thing I notice is pretty much every episode of that show starts with a really slow fade-in, and it's usually a slow fade-in on a static shot that will then sometimes start moving or it will be something where you're like, I don't even know what this is. And then something will happen or you'll get a visual clue of like, okay, this is where we're at and this is what's happening. And so I've been trying as I'm starting those sequences to fade into sort of an interesting or even, I don't want to say confusing, but kind of confusing first shot that hooks somebody's attention, but starting it with a really slow fade in. And I've just been using keyframes on the opacity layer in Final Cut Pro so that way I can adjust the, the speed of the fade exactly as I want it without affecting the audio at all. And it really kind of changes. It's crazy how something that simple can just change the feel of a video, but I love it so much. And it just feels like it's an extra, it's just an extra little bit of like craftsmanship for lack of a better word that just, it just makes the video feel so much better. Um, and it's just a simple fade in. And the idea just came from <laughs> Better Call Saul, where every episode is just kind of that slow fade in. And you're kind of wondering what's happening now. Where are we? What's going on? What's taking place here? And then you jump into it and it's wildly engaging for the entire time. And that's obviously my my videos on my channel are nothing like Better Call Saul. But that idea of it's high quality it feels interesting, and even if you don't know exactly where we're at when it's beginning, you want to go along for the ride because you trust that it's going to be fun and enjoyable and interesting along the way. So kind of broke down a couple things there of, of uh, different bits of inspiration, but I wanted to share just some behind the scenes of thought that goes into making videos where it really isn't just like, I'm going to sit down and talk about this random thing off the top of my head, but there is a lot of thought and planning and there is a lot of, you know, I think it's very important to push yourself to constantly get better at things, especially if, if you've been doing them for a while, and to try new things regularly. And these are just some examples that have been fun for me. And I like these examples because they're not, you know, telling a joke of the day that I started in my English class eight or nine years ago. Um seeing the intro to an anime, watching how a show fades into an episode, those aren't immediate things that are going to make you think, yes, that's obviously what's going to be in a YouTube video about cameras and microphones and stuff, but it, it can be. And so whatever it is that you make, you might find sources of inspiration elsewhere. And just because it's not directly related to the thing that you're doing doesn't mean you can't borrow that inspiration or be influenced by it or let it spark some bit of creativity in your own mind to do something that is a little bit different from what you normally do. So before we wrap up today, I do want to go over some gear of the week, which is just my chance to be a nerd and talk about gear that I use and that I like and I don't have to make a whole video about it. I can just talk about little things. Sometimes I talk about cheap or free stuff. And sometimes I talk about, you know, more expensive things. It's just whatever I'm interested in. This week, I'm not going to lie. My gear of the week is a little more expensive. So I'm not telling you to go out and buy these things. I'm just telling you this is something that I have really been loving this week. That's really been helping me a lot. And that is after about three years, I have finally upgraded my iPad, which there was nothing really wrong with my old one. The home button was getting a little funky on it, but I had the original iPad Pro, the 10 inch one, 10 and a half inch one. 
And I love that thing because that was the first iPad that had the Apple Pencil, which was a game changer. And if you've seen, you know, I've done videos about using Apple Pencil to do titles. It's how I do all of the lettering and all of the titles on my channel. Um, it's, it's a pretty big part of my workflow. And the new generation of iPads are just really powerful. And I've also been using my iPad so much lately that is spoiled as it sounds, this 10.5 inch screen was just a little bit too small. It's really about the size of half a piece of paper. And it, like kind of when you get down to it, whereas the 12.9 inch one is almost like just a normal sheet of paper, like the, the surface area that you can write on. And so that was a big deal to me to be able to, to just have more space to write, to be able to do more uh, multitasking on screen and just to have the newer version of the Apple Pencil, um, which is really cool. And like a lot of people give crap to the Apple Pencil because they go like, oh, it's a hundred bucks for a stylus, which it's not because a stylus is just, it's just a thing to let you like interact with the screen. Whereas the Apple Pencil has all the pressure sensitivity, it has gestures, it has all that stuff. The reason that's a big deal, if you do any kind of design work or anything where you use a, a like a Wacom tablet or a pen or whatever, those things are expensive. Like if you want to get a Wacom Cintiq, which is their, it's like their display that you can draw on kind of like an iPad. The cheapest one I think is about $800 and that's, it's about 12 or 13 inches. And then if you get a bigger one, that's like 17 inches or 20 inches or whatever, um, that goes up to like $1,800, $2,000. And those don't have any software built into them. So you have to, connect it to your computer so that we can actually engage with software. You also have to then hook it up, you know, with cables to your computer. You have to plug it into the wall. They're really cool. They're kind of a pain to set up. The iPad is all in one. It's wireless. The Apple Pencil brings in pretty much all that functionality to it. When you look at that price, even though like $1,000 for a 12.9 inch iPad is a ton of money, it's kind of worth it if you think of you know eight or nine hundred dollars for just a 12 inch display in the wacom tablet world i think i think it's really worth it and the pencil unlocks all of that functionality and now that you can also use your ipad as a wireless display with your computer you can then use the apple pencil with um with like photoshop with final cut pro with all that software plus the stuff that's just native to the ipad like native lightroom procreate which is basically the best app ever it's like 10 bucks and it's it's just the best drawing design art app you can think of for the iPad. That's I mean half my channel is built on just using Procreate, honestly. So the new iPad with the new Apple Pencil has been such a joy to use. Um, I love it. I'm not going to put an affiliate link in the show notes, but I am just going to put a link to it um, directly from Apple. I don't have an Apple affiliate link, but I really recommend if you did want to spend that much money on a new computer or a new iPad that you get it directly from Apple, just because while their warranty is great no matter what, I have found if you buy directly from Apple and something goes wrong, they have a lot more options in how to help you. Whereas there's been a couple times over the years where I've bought from another retailer, I needed support from Apple, and it kind of went to the like, oh, this thing's out of warranty, and you didn't buy it from us, so there's nothing we can do. Whereas with Apple, if I buy it from them, even if it's out of warranty, I found them to be a bit more flexible about being able to get a repair or an exchange or whatever. When you're spending that much money, having that support is really important. Of course, like Apple Care and stuff is good too. So I recommend, I mean, it's such a great tool, getting the iPad, getting the Apple Pencil. I will put an affiliate link to some of the screen protectors I use because they're really cheap and they're, I should say they're inexpensive. They're not cheap. It's like eight or nine dollars for two of them. Each one lasts several months before they kind of wear out. But they're anti-glare ones that really have the texture of paper. And so when you're drawing with the pencil on those, it really feels like paper. And there's almost no lag with the second generation pencil. So it's it's the closest digital drawing experience to paper that I have ever used. And I love it so, so much. And then I also recommend, um, if you're getting this whole setup, that you get extra tips for the Apple Pencil because they last a long time. They do wear out. They last a long time. But also if you drop the pencil, which I have done 
on more than one occasion, you can damage or like bend the tip of the pencil and then it becomes really hard and annoying to write with. So if you just, it's like, I think it's, is it 10 or $20 for a four pack of nibs, like tips for the pencil and they just screw on and off really easily. So definitely recommend doing that. It's a huge financial investment, but maybe you already have an iPad and you've been on the fence about the pencil. Maybe you've been using the pencil, but you didn't know about the screen protectors. Maybe you don't have any of it, but you've been kind of curious about it. I love it. I get a lot out of it. I highly recommend it. 10 out of 10. iPad Pro, Apple Pencil, definitely my gear of the week. So hope that was an interesting look at some of the stuff that, I don't know, just behind the scenes of like how I make videos and stuff. If you have any thoughts or feedback, of course, you can always reach out and leave me a message at anchor.fm slash enthusiasm, or just reach out to me directly at Tom on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, new videos every week now that it's summer, maybe sometimes even more than once a week on the Enthusiasm Project on YouTube. Thank you, as always, for spending your time with me. I really, really appreciate it. I hope that you're staying safe, sane, happy, and healthy, and I will see you next time. <laughs>